Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of anime trending. If you're looking for a nice tea and deep dive analysis about otaku things, you've come to the right place. We love our conversation and discussion, and we're back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the girl talk today will be about women creators in anime. So, one thing that gets noticed if you do any sort of, you know, um, research into the people behind uh, or responsible for the anime that you watch is that there is not a lot of women in high places or high positions, shall we say. So, we're going to do a two-parter. Uh, specifically exploring women within the anime sphere itself who have managed to get up to that higher position. Um, the lack of women in these positions is not anything new in the entertainment industry, to be completely honest with you, not even, you know, to the East in regards to Japan as a whole. Um, you know, it's a very well-known fact, for example, that very, very rarely do women directors ever get nominated for any sort of awards, even if their movie is utterly critically acclaimed. And in regards to the actual percentages of women who direct movies versus men who direct movies, it's a very small percentage here in the West as well. So this is not a unique Japanese thing in any shape or form, but it doesn't change the fact that that, that, that is an actual statistic. And so we want to spend two episodes to sort of highlight the women in the anime sphere just so we can get some spotlights on the ones who have managed to make a name for themselves and get themselves into big places. And hopefully we'll be able to see more in the future. So for the first part, we're going to start a little easier, which is specifically women creators of source materials that got adapted into anime. So there's a much wider range of women to choose from in that regard, thankfully speaking. Uh, manga, the manga field, or, or the writing field as a whole, and correct me if I'm wrong, Agnes or Isabel, but I feel like the writing field as a whole tends to be a little more balanced between the genders. So, um, but Yes, that's true, yes. Uh, thankfully so. Uh, but even with the fact that the actual source material field is more balanced in genders, that doesn't necessarily mean their adaptation has that same ratio as, as well. And uh, quite frankly, um, at the end of the day, if we sum up all the source materials written by men and all the source materials written by women who were animated or had an anime adaptation, men still tend to dominate in that field. So, uh, but thankfully, there are still more women uh, source material creators to choose from. So that's what we're going to start with. And then next week, or not next week, but the next episode itself, we'll go into the sort of even much, much, much smaller pool phase of actual women anime directors and women writers and such. So uh, with that being said, Isabel, you are the first person to go this week. So uh, what are some of the women creators of source materials that got adapted to anime would you like to highlight for us today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, like you said, I feel like the source material is easier to find and also myself reading manga or reading, I don't read light novels per se, but if I read novels, there's a lot of books that I usually read that are written by women as well. And the first one I wanted to highlight um, is Yuyuko Takemiya, and she is a light novel writer, and she's mostly known for these two series, which are part of my, some two of them are some of my favorite rom-coms, I would say. So the first one is Toradora. Mm, okay. And Good pick. Yes. Another one that she wrote after Toradora, which I didn't even know that she wrote actually, is Golden Time. Oh! Uh, have you both seen both it? Is that, stellar works. You, Agnes, you've definitely seen it. Have, Gracie, have you seen Golden Time as well? I have, and I regularly revisit certain clips. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope, I hope you revisit the clip of Bonnery and his boyfriend. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> it! How did you know, Agnes? What was that? I said, how did you know that was the exact Because clip? the most popular clip from Golden Time, everybody rewatches it's just, it. It's just so funny. I can't, I just can't deal with it. So. The fact that these two bros like play into the whole like homosexual agenda is just so funny to Also, me. they are just in total sync with each other. Yeah. Like no hesitation. <laughs> 
is it bromance or is it bromance? You know? yeah. <laughs> but yeah, obviously, I also like rewatching clips from Golden Time, but more so even for me, specifically Toradora, I really love seeing Taiga just uh, like little scenes of her just beating up Ryuji whenever she can uh, with her small figure. And yeah, the thing that I noticed about these two is that the characters are just so well written. And not only that, the the comedy is on point and it never feels like a series where you know the female lead is the female lead is maybe more shy uh, more reserved or even the guy even is completely different um and in particular toradora the male lead is you know into into cooking which isn't really common or you don't really see that that much um, and then also the fact that he also likes cleaning. So kind of these uh, things that you normally associate with the household and what females might do, but then he's more than happy to do it. Um, so that's kind of the thing. And he's not bo- a boring character at all as well. So I feel like all the characters in those two series are so funny. The whole cast is funny as well. And the fact that they grow together um, as a group and then you know, they have their own character stories as well, um, especially in Golden Time where kind of, I mean, I, I personally really like the setting in Golden Time as well, just because it's in that college type setting, which I haven't seen too many anime go over or, you know, be placed in that setting. And so I really liked seeing them navigate college and then also recall, you know, memories that they had in high school and even middle school. And also just having that little kind of spiritual aspect because there's Bonri, but then there's his little spirit as well that has all his memories. And he, you know, he forgot everything, but he's like slowly getting towards it. So there's, I feel like there's more of a plot in Golden Time compared to Toradora. I feel like maybe some people might say that, you know, Golden Time took some of the aspects from Toradora, kind of switched it around, and then kind of built on that all together in terms of having a plot and going towards the end. Um, but yeah, I wish Takimiya had more works. I don't know if she's working on it. It seems like she has a couple of novels, at least when I checked after Golden Time, but I think they're more kind of maybe base, maybe just novels themselves. I don't know if they would ever turn into anime adaptations, but I really love the way that she writes her romantic comedies. And it's a style that I feel like it's not, no one can really forget, honestly. And it, it's obviously timeless. I feel like you can go back and watch it all the time. Uh, but yeah, that's what I had to say about her and her works. Uh, I don't know if you, either of you wanted to add to that. So I have a fun fact specifically about Toradora. So after the explosive popularity of Toradora, um, a lot of, it's so it's so weird because it's like, it doesn't feel that long ago for, uh, at least for me personally, but it's become like part of a cultural history to sort of examine in the same way that, you know, uh, the flip phone is part of the, is part of history now. And so, uh, but specifically a fun fact is Toradora is, is what a lot of people now uh, contribute or attribute to the rise in Sundere girls specifically. So Sundere girls have, always existed that's without question but it was specifically her portrayal in Toradora that led to just an influx of other stories of rom-coms with with like the Sundere girl who like who like snaps and gets angry and stuff like that and so she almost sort of started a trope you know or at least defined the traits of a trope before it has once again shifted once more as time passed so that was my little fun fact about her work specifically <laughs> oh i definitely remember that yeah toradora was definitely that time where cinderella were at its peak yeah exactly and it was largely and it, like i said a lot of people largely attributed to toradora's like complete and like, utter success in the matter that uh, there was a lot of copycats really uh, or at least a lot of inspiration if nothing else from her character so <laughs> pretty cool uh yeah so already so in that case isabel that is your first pick of a women creator source material so what is your second pick 
Yes. Um, so my second one, I don't know if either of you had this one on your list, maybe, but it is Yoshitoki Oima, who is the mangaka behind Silent Voice, as well oh, as... Oh, I considered her. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. I also considered her, too. Oh, okay. So she was on our, all of our lists. Um, and and I also didn't know that she was. she's actually behind To Your Eternity. Yes, she was. But yes, I really loved her kind of story, especially in Silent Voice. And that that only came up to me because I had uh, met a friend um, over dinner yesterday. And he said that I I thought that he would say that his favorite movie was uh, Your Name, just because he has the phone background of Mitsuha. But I was surprised when he told me that he actually really loved the story behind Silent Voice. and Silent Voice as a movie came out, what, like, maybe 2016-ish? Um, basically around the same time as Your Name. And I I found it interesting that Oima actually, uh, her mother is a sign language interpreter. And so... Oh, I did not know that. Okay. Wow. And so, you know, a lot of people ask the question, oh, is she herself, you know, deaf? Or is she, you know, um, in the community or things like that? And no, she's not. But then her mother, because of, you know, her mother's work and things like that, I think, you know, that was obviously um, a big factor in her writing the story and drawing the characters and, you know, obviously receiving some help from her mother as well for that. I thought that was an interesting, you know, tidbit I didn't know. Um, And then, yeah, just her ideas behind the stories and her discussing kind of... um, what she does in her writing process. I thought that was interesting too. There was a interview that I read on the Kodansha website. Um, so if you have time, you can check it out about her exact thoughts on writing the series and how it turned into a movie and everything. Um, but yeah, I really liked her kind of um, going through what the characters are. She said that she puts herself into that character and thinks about, you know, what they might do, and then thinks about it from each character's perspective. Um, and not only that, in terms of how she thought, you know, how she started started writing um, or started drawing silent voices, that she actually had the pretty much almost the whole idea um, already kind of completed. Uh, she already knew where she was going to go with the story and things like that. It was more of just, you know, talking to her editor and seeing if you know, this um, executing the plot point this way would work or if if it should be in a different perspective and things like that. Um, So yeah, I feel like, yeah, her idea behind her work um, is really great. And I think that kind of carries into to your eternity, because if you think about her putting herself in those situations, I can kind of see that into your eternity, which has so many characters um, and different storylines that that Fushi goes through. And um, apparently, each of the stories that we see um, in the anime itself, um, you know, that we kind of think of them as arcs in the anime, um, but in as as the um, as for the manga, it's actually different volumes, you know, per story. And so I thought that was interesting that like, you know we have that story, or we have the story if you remember about the little girl uh, March, um, and then Pioran and moving forward. So. Yeah, I'm excited to see where that goes. She's obviously working on that now. And and I don't know how many more uh, volumes she might have. Um, I think it's close mm-hmm. to ending from my understanding. Oh, really? Like It's definitely in the last arc, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that'll be interesting. I wish I could read it. I'm pretty sure the anime will have a lot more to adapt um, based off of those. But yes, those are my thoughts on her overall did you have any thoughts on that, Greasy? Um, you know, because she was on your list as well. Yeah, so uh, so yes, I definitely considered her to be picked. One thing that always struck me about uh, a silent voice, and certainly you explaining about her mom actually being a sign language interpreter, I think clears a lot of things up, is apparently her uh, specific portrayal of the bullying that happens to uh, Shokul, who is the girl that is deaf, Um, She did, uh, I think she did closely talk to an organization in Japan specifically made to support deaf people and deaf children, 
where she took down a lot of their personal notes about what bullying was like growing up and then, you know, using that as inspiration to writing the story behind A Silent Voice. And apparently some school districts straight up did not want her to publish this story because they feel like it quote unquote gives schools a bad reputation. Um, and the, so the good news is the publishers, the editors, and, um, everyone stood behind her and she definitely stood firm on the fact that she's not changing a single bit of the bullying. And in fact, the nonprofit organization that she worked with even came out with an official statement and said like, you know, these schools want to block this particular story. This is reality for us every day. And she was able to portray it beautifully and respectfully, just like when she came to us and asked questions and stuff like that. And that always struck a chord with me where I like, you know, gave me a lot of respect to her work and what she was writing and stuff. But it also to me was kind of insane because now that the schools actively try to essentially push back on her that I'm like, so you're basically endorsing the fact that you guys let these kind of bullyings happen. Okay, great. Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I thought it was also kind of stupid on their end, but at least uh, eye-opening, if nothing else. So that's definitely the story that always stuck out to me about her personally. And uh, definitely, at least, um, A Silent Voice is more popular than To Your Eternity in regards to adapt uh, anime adaptation-wise, but it's made a lot of impact on people watching about its, like, you know, portrayal of the bullying, portrayal of depression, really, and how, like, it squeezes your world where you don't really notice anyone or you don't really have the emotional capacity to notice anyone because if you you're you're you yourself are draining yourself like you don't you're not left with anything to look at other people with the x's over their faces so also you know a huge shout out to kyoto animation specifically adapting that so that's what came to my mind in regards to her i ultimately went with other people but um but you know definitely was on my list and agnes you said she was on your list as well so what were your thoughts of Mm -hmm. her when you were thinking about her it was definitely super eye-opening because I read the one-shot first uh, mm. before any of the uh, before she started she started serializing the manga and then it was later adapted into a movie. So I remember when I was reading the one-shot, I was really blown away by the sincerity of displaying both um, a disability that you wouldn't typically see in Japanese society, but also really hone in on the idea of bullying. How in a place like Japan, bullying doesn't not only happen to the victim, but it also bounces back on the bully as well. And that the two of them have to basically come to terms that they just had a really beginning between like Shoko and Ishita, and that it is not too late to make amends either and to slowly bridge that gap of understanding. And I thought that was a very mature take on this small one shot rather than something that was kind of like swept under the rug because of the apparent bullying. But now that we talked about the two sides of it where for one, the mangaka's mother is a sign language translator and then she also went out to visit um, organizations that were helping bully kids really brings a a broader perspective on how she came about to write A Silent Voice. Yeah, and I do think A Silent Voice is one of the few works out there where they do not, uh, like, they do not just say, oh, the adults weren't part of this. Like, A Silent Voice very, very explicitly calls out the adults to be like, you guys didn't do anything about this. Like Exactly, yeah. And unfortunately, like, all the kids that were swept up in this uh, this bullying arc also end up being kids that aren't, you know, very mature. Mature, yeah. And you start to see that too, and how really messed up the school system is because all of the quote unquote friends of Ishta and Shoko near the end of the series, they're all assholes. I mean, they're all assholes because they also have like their own respective issues and traumas or whatever. But you really see how because bullying is not really nipped. At the at when you're very young, it continues to kind of fester and create very negative behaviors in people. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of a comment from a mom specifically that was really touched by a silent voice where she says like definitely what struck her was the fact that the teacher kept allowing it to happen because yep. she's just like 
sometimes kids are mean. Like that's just how it is. They they're they're mean, but that's where it's your responsibility as the adult to step in and be like, you can't be mean. You, society doesn't let you to be mean. If you are mean, bad things are going to happen to you. Trust me, that's when it's your responsibility to do that as an adult. And it was just, and she's like, that's why it struck her so much because it did show it very explicitly that the, that the teacher didn't do anything. And the teacher decided to let a kid take the fall when she was like, no, like you were the one who was there. You were the one who was right there to be like, hey, you can't do this. And you didn't. And so um, and that's what had always struck her in a positive way of storytelling is what she's saying for a silent voice. So, yeah. All righty. Uh, so thank you, uh, Isabel, for sharing those two specific women creators who had their source materials made into anime. And now we pass the baton to Agnes. So Agnes, um, it sounds like you you didn't pick her eventually. So I'm curious to hear who did you end up picking for your list today? For sure, for sure. So I picked three three female creatives. Two of them create absolute girl bosses, and then the last one creates a pathetic girl boss. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> just to bring some perspective into some of the characters. So the first one that I wanted to spotlight was something that I had mentioned a very, very long time ago on the Badass Female Protagonist episode of this podcast. Um, her name is Balsa. And the series that she's from is from Morbito Guardian of the Spirit, which is written by Naoki Uehashi. Uh, Naoki Uehashi is actually very famous here in the West. That book series, Moribito Garden, Guardian of the Spirit, is actually a, uh, a book series that is serialized in the West. Has a pretty, It's really well known in both Japan and um, in America. And you can actually see, you can buy her books off like the Scholastic Fairs when you were younger too. Oh, that's So that's cool. how far her presence has spread. And Uehashi is also somebody who is has a PhD in ethnology at the Kawamura Gakuin Women's University. So she kind of knows her, <laughs> if I have to put it very bluntly. Um, but the one thing that, I re that really struck me about Moribito, Guardian of the Spirit, is because part of it is the exploration of ethnology, which is very well respected, uh, well observed in her series and in the world building that she has for this book and then also the complexity of an older female character that is the main character and is available for younger audiences to read especially in the west in like a scholastic fair when you're maybe like anywhere between the ages of six to maybe like 13 when you're reading these books you see a very powerful female figure that isn't just a teenager but somebody in their 30s who kicks ass with the spear and has a lot of very complicated feelings towards the person that she's supposed to take care of and the people around her who have shaped her to be who she is and it just really struck me how like in a lot of young adult uh, fiction it's very hard to find that kind of character when a lot of the characters in young adult fiction are very frivolous or they have very impulsive ideas or they don't really think things through and that's how they show their character growth versus for balsa in moribito she's very different and i think that's what i really liked about her works as a whole as compared to a lot of the young adult literature as well I really had no idea that her influence was so wide that she, her books were showing up in Scholastic Fairs, genuinely. Yeah, it shows up in Scholastic Fairs. You can even find it in your public library. It's there somewhere. Mm, she was part of the crew of, like, the the few sort of Japanese stuff that was translated <laughs> during that time. I mean, it's crazy to think because, like, uh, there's so much manga and, like, light novels now selling in the West. But back then, when we were growing up, those are very select and few. <laughs> so. Yeah, and and she's like it's an actual book like it's a book series that you would read it's not manga or light novel so this predates even before when mangas became more of a prevalent thing in libraries mm -hmm. I, I also want just a quick note about the fact that you have highlighted her before I distinctly remember using her as a screenshot for one of our tweets when we did the badass uh, female protagonist and I did get several comments being like, oh my gosh, like, you know, someone remembers this anime and like, yeah, talk it's about a great her. anime. Yeah. I routinely rewatch the open, the, um, the, the first episode scene from production IG where it's Balsa versus the, the guards who are trying to capture her and the prince that she's running away with. It is such a great scene. It is super memorable and the series is just great. 
Yeah, no. Whew, okay, I'm glad. Like, I had no idea that was written by a woman. And certainly, like, to hear her success, it's like, it's it's really great. Did she write any other series or is that the only one? That is her biggest series to date. Okay. Um, She has written a couple other series as well. Called There's one of them called The Beast Player, which I've also read. Um, it's a very interesting one uh, where it's about a girl who can control beasts and then she's uh, control beasts in the terms of uh, she's like a beast tamer, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So she grew up in a village that was able to train these beasts through, you know, taking care of them, using signals and whistles and stuff like that. And she gets caught up in this war between two kingdoms who are trying to um, who are trying to take advantage of her people's gift. Um, it's a very interesting one. I feel like it's it's a a bit more higher level in terms of like spirit spirituality um type of stuff and philosophy as compared to more veto where it's a little bit more grounded mm, i see okay uh already so you said you have three so that's one of them what's your second one so my second one is i also talked about this and i believe it was it might have been in an isekai episode that we talked about on this podcast and it's The Twelve Kingdoms by Fuyumi Ono. Yes, I remember um, that. <laughs> funnily enough, Fuyumi Ono also wrote one of my other favorite series, but it's a horror series called Ghost Hunt. Um, so what? It's a very no! dichotomy between the two series of like, this woman loves horror, but she can also write a pretty damn good fantasy. No, she's they're also, so different. <laughs> she's also married to the horror author behind Another. Oh, what? so she's really into horror. <laughs> oh my um, but, gosh. <laughs> but for the, and I didn't really know this because I actually wanted to spotlight her specifically for 12 Kingdoms. And then when I went to go look it up, I was like, everything makes sense. All my tastes are aligned. This is perfect. Everything is falling together because I watched Ghost Hunt when I was in early middle school. That freaked me out for my entirety of my adulthood and every single person that you meet who has seen ghost hunt will always tell you that horror show is so damn scary and i watched it when i was like 12 okay (laughs) so that should explain a lot of things but for the 12 kingdoms i wanted to highlight this because fuyumi ono similar to the female uh light novels uh authors and mangakas that isabel talked about she has a really great nuance when it comes to writing female characters and making them a lot more fleshed out as a protagonist going from a sort of scared protagonist who doesn't really know what she's doing, but she's trying her damn hardest in every single uh, series, whether it's in the Twelve Kingdoms or in a paranormal <laughs> uh, activity sort of anime. So that's really why I wanted to highlight Fuyumi Ono. Mm, my gosh that that range <laughs> oh actually gracie she wrote shiki no <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> yeah gracie i think is freaking out right now yeah she wrote shiki gracie's in shock oh my I gosh know. that's insane <laughs> our tastes are truly aligned gracie <laughs> But I would not recommend you to watch Ghost Hunt because Ghost Hunt is very scary. Yeah, I, I heard. I heard Ghost Hunt is just going to kill me inside. Like... Ghost Hunt. I, okay, Ghost Hunt almost killed me when I was twelve. I think it will actually like kill you and prevent you from coming back to the karma karmatic cycle. Okay? Oh yeah, no, I, I I have no doubt about that. Um, I'm but Shiki as well. Uh, and I love Shiki. You know, as you guys already know, when I talked about it, you guys are like, wait, Crazy doesn't watch horror. Why is she watching? if anything you should watch the 12 kingdoms when you have time i know that the art style is a little bit old for our taste but the pacing and the character development is just so good yeah no oh my gosh um oh that's like mind-blowing for me what about you isabel have you dabbled with any of her work and stuff like that (laughs) wow what a beast (laughs) i really haven't i'm just like of course agnes would know all about this i feel like you're just like having a field day because you know all this um, and have seen it too. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested. I've heard of them, obviously, but also, I, yeah, horror is really hard. So I, if I had to choose between those three, I would probably start with the 12 kingdoms first. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely start with the Twelve Kingdoms. There's not really a horror element, but there is like a lot of suspension in the first part where the main character is like screaming and running through woods and facing off against like cannibalistic monsters and stuff. So it could be mm. interpreted as a little bit of horror, but otherwise it's it's definitely not horror. It's just an isekai. Okay. Like I said, <laughs> I I don't even think that Shiki is considered to be. Well, I mean, it is a horror, no. but I'm like it's it's philosophical. It's supernatural. Yes, yes, supernatural and philosophical. So <laughs> yes, yes, we we discussed this in the last podcast about this. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, don't watch Ghost Hunt and definitely don't watch it at night. <laughs> you were, ma- I made that mistake when I was twelve, and I had to ask my mom to walk me upstairs to Aww, my room because that's poor baby me. Agnes. <laughs> baby, okay, you okay? You you say that now before I show you a clip, okay? Don't make me show <laughs> no, you. No, no, no. I'm just saying that was cute because I was imagining you twelve years old. So <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty scary. Like there was a there's a. Uh, a glass reflections video about him kind of like on ghost hunt because he thinks that it's not really that great of an anime which i can see why but there are definitely a lot of comments below they're like he has not seen that episode yet <laughs> everyone is just like yeah he's definitely not seen that episode he's not that scared about this series so yeah oh man okay so that is your second one so who you got for your third one on your list uh- my third one on my list was actually not going to be here if not for the recent anime announcement. Oh. And it is the mangaka behind Delicious in Dungeon, written by Roko Kui. Oh, that's a woman! I didn't know that! <laughs> that's a woman. That's a female. Uh, Delicious in Dungeon is a marvel. I read the manga first obviously because the anime is airing at Anime Expo this year, which is very timely, in about a week from when we post this podcast. And it's so delightful because it has a tremendous mix of comedy. If you like Golden Kamui kind of comedy, you'll like Delicious and Dungeon type of comedy, which is which is up my alley, unfortunately. Uh, but all the characters are very memorable. They all have different facial features and body structures that makes them memorable. And they just contribute overall to the entire plot. And they all have a role to play. So I think a lot of people will really appreciate sort of like the hilarity comedy behind all of these characters but really also appreciate how down to earth they are as well and that they all have fairly complex backstories as well i've heard it also can get quite dark it does it not it does get very dark so for people who are thinking like ah it's a funny comedy wait until you finish the first arc (laughs) interesting (laughs) because the first arc is very dark and it gets worse actually not to the point where it's like chainsaw man worse but to the point where things slowly start to get darker, things become more grim as you descend deeper into the dungeon. I see. I was thinking to myself that the adaptation is looking pretty great. The trailers look pretty incredible. I am so yeah. excited. Yeah. Trigger, please bless this show. Please bless this show. I'm so looking I think the Sakuga it. people have said that there's a good team of people behind it. So that's always a good news. So for the listeners who might not be aware and mistakenly think that studios are responsible for entire anime that is just simply not the case um this is something that i've also just had to learn as i became more and more and more into the anime world to the point where i'm watching like 20 anime a season next season i'm only watching 15 i've never felt so relaxed (laughs) and so um but specifically when it comes to how good an anime is it's less about the specific studio behind it but the team they've managed to gather together because a lot of the animators and especially the very seasoned experienced or extremely talented ones or the ones that are taught very well as well like they were protégés of other ones um, they are freelancers. They're not explicitly tied to a specific studio. So, for example, the director of Vinland Saga, he, you know, worked on Vinland Saga season one at Wit Studio, and the second uh, season is at MAPPA. But most, what's most important is the team that he's managed to gather to specifically create the anime. And so it's less about the studio and more about the names and the people behind the specific anime. So with that being said, the Sakuga people, I think, have already said online based on that really good first impression trailer that they that it seems like Delicious and Dungeon has a pretty good team of people behind it. So it's probably going to be a pretty good adaptation is my guess. Yep. Yep. I agree. I'm pretty sure Agnes is excited uh, for this show and 
I wanted because I think if like at the beginning before you introduced you said that that you know it was two girl bosses but then <laughs> this one is a fa- failed Good, girl boss on. you said <laughs> yes uh, the pathetic girl boss is Marcel which is the elf in Delicious in Dungeon uh-huh. she is an absolute hoop because she's such a scaredy cat at trying to try everything <clears throat> her companions will literally eat anything La- Lias in especially who's just the guy in the big armor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the tank of the party. He has such a deep fascination about mythical creatures in the dungeon that he'll literally walk up to the other members of the party and he'll be like, what do you think if we eat this? Like, what do you think it'll taste like? And Marcel is kind of like a high elf and she does magic and she's a little bit prissy. So she'd be like, ew, no, I don't want to eat this stuff. And she makes these hilarious expressions in both the manga and I think in the anime adaptation too. So she's kind of like the pathetic girl boss who like won't try anything, but she's incredibly powerful. The only problem is she only knows one spell, which is that big explosion magic spell, very similar to Megumi from Konosuba. So that's why she's kind of like pathetic girl oh. boss. I think I, I saw her in the trailer why. too. <laughs> yeah, I can't quite reveal why she's a quote unquote girl boss, but just know that she is also pathetic too, because the girl boss part is kind of a, a spoilery part. Uh, I thought for some reason that you were going to be like, I can't reveal why she's so picky about food. And I was like, wow, they <laughs> no, even she, have an explanation no, for she's that. Just, she's just straight up picky about food just because she does come, she is a high elf. So she is a little bit, she has like higher standards. She comes from a more cultivated society. She didn't really have to learn anything super hard or didn't have really a hard life. So she's a bit prissy. That's why it's in her personality. Mm, I see. Well, I was just going to ask, like, are any of us picky food eaters? I mean, Agnes is not. I know that. So, um, is like I'll eat most meats if that's what you're asking. Yes. <laughs> like Isabel, have you like hesitated on food or been a little p- more particular about food? Yeah, I definitely have preferences, but you know, if it comes down to it, I'm definitely not a picky eater. Okay, okay, because I think at the I was like, I think out of the three of us, none of us are too particular about the food that we. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when the last time that we had that uh, outing to visit you, Gracie, we pretty much ate everything that you offered to us. So right, I know. I don't think we're which exactly was so, picky. Which is so nice because let me tell you, uh, where Agnes already knows, but for the listeners, oh, no. <laughs> let me <laughs> tell you. He's already dead, Gracie. <laughs> One of my friends decided to come visit me and my God, was it bad trying to pick a place to eat. And I keep offering him all these new places and then he was like, mm, maybe, mm, depends. Mm, and I'm just like, sir, sir, how are you living right now? <laughs> so, hey, you know, he's living the single life. He likes meat, okay? I went, I saw him very recently because we went to go see a movie and he was doing just fine. You just got to feed him meat. That's it. You can't just live off of meat. <laughs> I'm like screaming right now. Uh, this is reminds me of a I, I had a roommate who was also pickier with food and every time that she leaves uh the rest of us are me like order the food order the food that we can't eat <laughs> wait but are you not able to order like a side portion for her or like order from something somewhere else for that roommate or oh uh, it's because we cook our dinners together so we do kind of like potluck cooking instead it's a okay so the second i started rooming with my three roommates i was like guys do you want to just cook for each other like family style and all of them were like yeah so we had sign up sheets and everything it was great it was fun apparently everyone else still does it including me and my current roommate and so uh but that was really why that like we just avoided the food or using the ingredients that she didn't like because uh, it was family style so yeah I see, I see, okay. Out of consideration, God. Yeah, it. exactly. But it's always really funny when she is gone because we're like, oh, we, we need to eat that. We need to eat this now. <laughs> so <laughs> we use this opportunity to eat as much as we can. <laughs> uh, alrighty then. So those are your three um, uh, women creators. One of them is upcoming. Really excited to see it um, debut at Anime Expo. I will be attending the other panel. I remember we split up on this one, but Agnes, tells, tell me how it goes. So... <laughs> Will do. <laughs> Alrighty, so it is my turn. 
So I also have three. One I am kind of biased on because I got to interview her specifically and got to ask a lot of my questions. So that was just overall very fun, sort of a writer to writer situation. But the first one I will um, I will highlight is Haruko Kumota uh, Sensei. And she is most famous for uh, writing Rakugo, Rakugo Shinju, our favorite Rakugo. Yes, the best. Cry. Yes. So the reason why I'm highlighting her is because I actually think her whole story as a writer is very interesting. So believe it or not, she was already pretty famous before the Rakugo Shinju manga. But... It was for a very specific subset of fans, and she was writing a lot of yaoi, is what she was doing. Um, and ah, the mm. classic, yeah. yeah. So she was writing a lot of yaoi, and Rakugo, Rakugo Shinju, I think, is one of her first work that is not yaoi and like quote unquote serious. You know, I, I have to put it in quotation marks because I do actually think, especially with how things are changing nowadays, that there are certain yaoi bl specific uh, like uh, source materials now that are extremely extremely well written i definitely think should be taken seriously but um but with that being said of of her of when she was writing it like they weren't considered serious and rakugo shinju is considered one of her first serious work but boy was that serious work good um the anime adaptation absolutely enraptured me and obviously enraptured um, agnes as well because the two of us love to praise it to the sky uh, i think it just shows that we can't really sort of um judge a book by its cover or or even specifically judge a um a judge a writer by the genre because once again you know we're so used to disparaging yaoi and bl and specifically stuff like that that when we hear a specific writer's or origin started from there we kind of almost immediately write them off which is insane considering how well written rakugo shinju is and so um and so it shows that she is an absolute force to be reckoned with when it comes to writing and just because she wrote a lot of yaoi in the past certainly does not ex- like does not say anything about her writing abilities and i don't know if anyone's ever read any of her yaoi i certainly never had but there's a part of me that's like i bet those are pretty damn good as well because of the knowing what she can write and so um so that was one aspect of her that i just found really really fascinating and how it's like it's just such a piece of work in regards to Rakugo, uh, Rakugo Shinju. Um, another thing that I find very admirable about her is she's actually one of the few um, senseis who are pretty outspoken about uh, rights, of uh, whether it is uh, gender rights or whether it is equal rights with LGBTQ. Um, you know, there are a few uh, other authors who have been, uh, or mangakas who have been outspoken about it. For example, there is a Fruits Basket mangaka had never shied away from showing her support for it. And uh, Aura High School Host Club's mangaka has actually at Anime Expo even talked about being supportive of it. So uh, was being supportive of the community. But, you know, she's never been to the U.S. And um, she has spoken quite actively about it when it comes to stories about various people, when it comes to stories about women, when it comes to stories with people who have different genders or different uh, sexualities for that matter. And I think her honesty and her openness and her like passion for these particular things is really comes through in her story as well with Rakugo Shinju and with the themes, you know, Konatsu being one of the most obvious examples of like, you know, women being restricted from stuff that they could feel very passionate about and could actually be very talented and deserve to be in as well. And so uh, and so I so I really respect that side of her as well as a particular person in manga. So yeah, that is my first uh, pick in regards to the uh, women creators of source materials that got adapted to anime. Uh, you know, uh, Agnes, I know you love her work as Rakugo Shinju. Did you know about her past and all that stuff? <laughs> so I just looked it up. 
Um, I definitely don't recognize her BL titles because I don't naturally read that much BL. I only recently started reading a little bit of BL from here to here, but it's very, I'm very picky with my taste. But the one other series that I have watched that is a successful anime that she has written is Fune, Fune o Amu, which is an anime that Isabel talked about. Wait, I didn't know she wrote that! Oh company. my gosh! Yeah, she wrote the publishing company one. <laughs> yes, The Great Passage. Yeah, I didn't know that either. That's, yes, that's surprising. Great, yeah. It all makes sense, though. It does! <laughs> it is her style, though. Like, there's a type of atmosphere to it, I feel like. <clears throat> It's a very melancholic, mature atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. There's also a strange bit of calmness to it. Like, even though Rakugo Shinju had some pretty intense parts, not gonna, like, not gonna lie, but there's, like, a weird sort of stillness, calm, calmness overhating all her characters in her story that I feel like is just very present. So now that you said it, I'm like, I see the atmosphere. Like, I connected the dots so easily, so... You sense the vibes. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, yes, exactly. I sense the vibes. That's exactly it. Uh yeah, so I Isabel, you know, I I keep forgetting. Did you watch Rakugo Shinju? I mean, obviously you've watched The Great Passage, so mm-hmm. I did watch Rakugo Shinju. Actually, yeah, so I didn't plan on watching it. I only watched it because I saw the trailer for it, just watching, you know, what's going coming going coming out in the season. And I just thought that the storytelling or at least the trailer was attractive enough for me to start it and once i started it i couldn't stop watching it it's so good isn't mm-hmm. it it's a roller coaster from start to you finish. got yeah. pulled in you got pulled in bad <laughs> 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 yeah oh my gosh okay so yes that is my first one i would like to highlight uh, my second one i would like to highlight i kind of wanted to go to a different genre so um, so this one is not going to be surprising for Agnes <laughs> as like a little hit, I guess, ahead of time. But I, I hope I know this series because I had it as an honorary mention for mine before. I'm like, maybe Gracie. Will oh, this. We'll see if this is the same okay. series. So here's who I picked. I picked Asato Asato, who is the... I knew it. You got it? <laughs> <laughs> oh <Yeah>. my god. <laughs> see, you know me so well, Agnes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so yes, it is Asato Asato, the writer behind the 86 light novel series. So I wanted to highlight her. She is a woman who is writing probably one of the most popular light novel series right now in modern times. And it is not Yusekai on top of that. And so, and her work is actually critically acclaimed. Something I never forgot is that I almost didn't watch 86 because, as you guys all know, I don't really like sci-fi stuff. So I started seeing all those mecha machines. I was like, mm. <laughs> you know, it's like immediate sort of like an X mark for me in regards to my in, in my interest. But with that being said, when the 86 anime adaptation was announced, there were so many professional reviewers who were talking about Oh, this is the critically acclaimed light novel series. This is the this is the light novel series that was written so much better than it had a right to be. I was like, okay, okay, you've you've piqued my interest now. So, um, so I started paying attention to the trailer, and then I saw Shin, who was coincidentally my type, and so, um, and so I was just like, okay, now he's caught he's caught my attention even more now. Um, and then I watched it, and I fell absolutely in love with the series Agnes knows that I'm like obsessed with it sort of sort of in love um and I I just like I want to make so clear just how powerful of a work it is considering that 86 as a light novel series is now famous for being the light novel series that was quote-unquote better than it had any right to be like that is such high praise that even the Sakuga people specifically pointed it out the Sakuga people um you know wrote a specific piece on how well adapted 86 was thanks to its very powerful director that was at the helm who uh who recently actually um directed an, an episode of Tengoku uh Daimakyo so as a tidbit but if you're wondering where he is but um but in that piece they specifically noted that this was a stellar adaptation of a source material that was already more well written than it ever needed to be and I was like oh like that is such good praise to get as like an author to get that sort of um recognition for your writing to be like that 
good to the point of amazement. And so I just thought that was something to really point out to as to the power that she has in regards to her series and in regards to her writing as well. Um, other things I'm really impressed with her on is the fact that she is clearly very historically knowledgeable. Um, she openly says in interviews that a lot of the stuff that happens in um, in her series in basically a fantasy mecha sci-fi world is, um, you know, based very much on historical events that got adapted into the series itself and as so as history nerds here, both me and Agnes very, very obviously figured out what those references are, like right from the bat. And so um, and that was actually part of the fun of watching 86 with Agnes is the two of us kind of comparing notes to see what we've noticed, like just a historical reference wise. Um, but then there's also the fact that something that always there's a really funny incident regarding her. So her light novel series is actually very famous for specifically having really good fight sequences in there and in, in like the light novel series itself. And so. <clears throat> and when it was eventually discovered that Asato Asatol is a woman who is writing this series, apparently a huge chunk of the men who really enjoy 86 as a light novel series and uh, in Japan were tweeting stuff like, huh, I didn't know women could write such good action scenes. <laughs> and I was like, oh. I'm just <laughs> like, Are you kidding me right now? And there was a lot of people who was responding to it was like, uh, Full Metal Alchemist. Like, did you guys just forget that was written by a woman too, or like, did you guys not are not aware of that? But that was like a full. That was a whole incident that just played out on Twitter live for me, uh, specifically on Japanese Twitter. That um, Japanese Americans or specifically people who are fluent in Japanese and English were translating for us, and I thought that was very funny and ironic. And it seems like she kind of thought it was hilarious as well because she was like, I never hid the fact that I was a woman so the fact that you guys are just discovering this and making like it seem like a revelation is kind of like weird but funny so uh so that was also a whole thing in regards to her but yeah <clears throat> I love her I think she's incredible so I, I think I've gushed about her enough so Agnes you know you said that you definitely considered her but you figured I was gonna take her so what are your thoughts about her <laughs> I didn't want to take your spotlight because you're the one that convinced me to watch 86 in the first place. So I'm like, let's let Gracie handle this. Uh, but my tidbit that I want to contribute at least to this discussion is that after 86, 86 finished, um, I was I kind of got enamored with the series too after comparing a lot of notes with Gracie that I actually went out, uh, out of my way to buy the light novels myself and I started reading them. And I have to agree with a lot of the original consensus that the anime made the light novel a lot better than it mm -hmm. should have been. Because the way that Asato Asato writes, and I don't mean this in a negative way because I personally like this writing style, but for a lot of people who are used to reading light novels or more like flower, flowery language, uh, 8686 is very direct. It's very to the point. It has a lot of technical jargon in it that I don't think a lot of people will understand mm. when they read it. And it's a lot of very high level technical jargon that you would see in even like literature um, papers or like scientific papers to describe certain things or to describe certain scenarios that they're in. And I was like, wow, this is not an ordinary light novel. This has almost every right to be an actual novel instead of a light novel. Um, so the writing style is very different, but I very much appreciate it. So I'm still currently kind of like chipping my way to reading through the light novel series. Got it. So kudos to Asato Asato. I didn't know that you actually straight up started buying the volumes, actually. Yeah, I started finding the volumes. Because you remember that one time I was very impulsively, I told you like... So I thought about buying the novel. Yes, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah, then a couple of weeks later, I was like, oh, I bought the novels. And I started reading it when we were seeing you, uh, when we went to go visit you a couple months mm. ago, too. I just know our funny moment with 86, aside from our nerdy moments where, you know, you blew my mind with the whole World War One, where you're like, oh, the communication devices are basically when long distance communication could actually happen world war one me going whoa <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> like, aside from that there was that funny moment where basically everyone was like wait an important character is gonna die next week <laughs> and, it was, oh, yeah. and everyone was like it's Raiden isn't it f you <laughs> And I'm just over here despairing over yeah, Raiden. And I just thought it was so 
funny because like the fandom was doing protection circles and like prayer circles. You know, if I was if I was that deep into eighty six, I would also do protection <laughs> circle to protect what I did. But I don't think I'm that deep just yet. So I'm okay. Oh gosh, I'm not a degenerate. Oh gosh, it's so funny. But uh, Isabel, did you ever watch eighty six? Were you into it? Um, yeah. I did. I saw the first season. Um, unfortunately, I can't say I I like it as much as you all. Uh, I I just don't know. Like I think it's good. I think I like the sci-fi parts more, maybe because it has maybe more of the historical reference or political. Um, that I I didn't see the second season. I think I may, but it's kind of not on my not the top of my list. Uh, I don't know. I just it was more kind of just like a feeling that I got out of watching the show. Mm-hmm. It felt like a melodrama, like, like maybe because I felt really sad, like oh. throughout the, series, the whole, like all the episodes. Yeah, it's it's yeah, pretty it's, sad. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, the 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 good part is that at the end of eighty six, there is like a reasonably lighter ending. I wouldn't say happier, but it's not as sad as the beginning. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. If that motivates you to watch it, but it is very depressing. It's heavy. It's how I would describe it. It's heavy, and it's not depressing where it makes you like cry every episode, but it's very somber because it's a it's a war story. Yeah, right. It's essentially a war story, and we don't see a lot of that in anime these days. Of course, you have stuff like Gundam and stuff like that too. Like older Gundam series, you could also describe as very, um, very depressing, but. 86 doesn't come with the bombacity of Mm -hmm. Gundam, but it's a very somber take on what the reality of war and human livestock really is. Yeah, that makes sense. So I can see why you were kind of like off-put by that, and you were just kind of like, ah, do I have to like slug my way through this? Because it is, it's sad. Yeah, Yeah. it's just like looming over it, I guess, throughout the episode. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. I completely understand your feeling because I have like a quota where I can only watch one or two of those kinds of series in a season. Um, for the last two seasons, that has been Vinland Saga. Vinland Saga also has that sort of... There's, like, lighthearted moments. Agnes will know what I'm talking about. Like, there's lighthearted moments, but there's always this somberness, this, like, sadness overhating it because of slavery and what it really is and how devastating it is. And so I think... Um, I, I do think anything that is very well done in a historical sense of, like, tragedies tend to have that sort of heaviness in the atmosphere so I get what you're saying and like the thing the thing is 86 was my quota that season I didn't have any (laughs) other anime on my list that had like that sort of heaviness only 86 was on there so yeah um yeah alrighty so my third one I'm gonna touch upon very briefly is specifically the mangaka for Sasaki and Miyano show Harusono and uh, she is, uh, the reason why I want to talk about her is because we got to interview her, Anime Trending, and I got to submit a lot of my questions to her, which she graciously answered, which was just really exciting because, um, you know, we Anime Trending does quite a bit of interviews with people, whether it's the mangaka, whether it's the people behind the anime production, stuff like that. But uh, for specifically because I like to write and do a lot of writing on the side, I just had a lot of writing-specific questions regarding Sasaki and Mia to her that I got to ask her such as how she creates her characters and how does she plot the progression of their relationship and stuff like that so that was just like a personal experience with me not like not to her I'm sure because it's just another person interviewing her but for me getting to ask all those questions I have about writing specifically um, it was really nice to see her and I would like to know that actually she won an award recently for Sasaki Miyano and it was like a fan voted poll where a lot of people voted and they voted her and her work as one of the best manga that they've read so um so I wanted to point that out because that's a very high honor as well that I think a lot of people didn't see coming including herself like she was not expecting it at all so um and I thought that was really sweet and overall all her like relationships and her characters are super cute looking and I think she's a great I think she's a good sort of a cute romance writer and I hope she gets more opportunities to just write more and get more of her work adapted so yeah, not sure if any of you two watched Sasuke and Miyano, though, so. <laughs> I definitely did not watch Sasuke and Miyano, but I know our overlord really that's liked That's right, series. he did. <laughs> he thought it was a very wholesome BL, and that's what he really was trying to aim for. for yes. the BL <laughs> Isabel, did you see it or no? I haven't. Um, I want to, though. Um, and I did read the interview that we all did uh, for a little bit, and I really like kind of the, the details that she yeah. goes through. <laughs> 
that she focuses on between their relationship and everything. So something I definitely want to watch. And I think there's a movie too. I forget if that has come out already or not. That's- yes, I think so. Yes, you're correct. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and one last thing is, uh, you know, you mentioning our or- overlord, like you saw Sakimiya, it also reminds me of how um, one of the comments I got, so unfortunately I did get a lot of homophobic comments because of course I did um, in regards to covering this anime. But uh, one of the comments I did get was from a guy who basically said that um, Sasuke Miyano is his first ever BL. Um, it's like, uh, and he's like, you know, it's just a genre that he's never really thought about dabbling in. Like he was always a little scared to dabble in is all it is. But obviously he has nothing against the actual genre itself. And specifically, it was me posting my screenshots of the anime that piqued his interest to where he thought it's like, you know, I think I think I could try this one as like my first one ever. And so um, and he said he watched it from beginning to end and he was happy that I covered it because he ended up also really, really enjoying it. And he thinks that, you know, for a first one, this was a wonderful pick. And he's kind of excited to see what what else he picks in the future now that he's got a bit of introduction into the genre itself. So that was a sweet comment I got in regards to one of my coverage of Sasuke and Miyano as well. Thanks to courtesy to the writer who was able to write the source material that way. Alrighty, so I think this sums up our episode for today. Hope everyone enjoyed this. Um, the next one will not be next week because we will actually be at Anime Expo. Uh, once again, we do have a panel, I believe, on July 3rd. Is that correct, Agnes? Uh, July 3rd? Yes. So on July 3rd and, um, you know, if you... Oh, no, July 2nd. Oh, July, July 2nd. 2nd. Okay, sorry. Uh, July 2nd. And uh, basically, it's on the Anime Expo schedule already. So if you guys want to meet us and us by... I will be at the panel talking. Agnes will be lurking somewhere. <laughs> but uh, if you want to meet us, you know, please uh, please go listen to us and see what we have to say regarding as anime trending. And there will be a little segment of Girl Taco in there as well. But other than that, uh, the next time we'll see you, we will be talking about the women in anime production side of things. So it's going to be very interesting then. And so I hope you guys will be here with us next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.